0: Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I need prayer, <clears throat> and I pray, I ask you to pray especially for my voice. I, I never lose my voice, but I feel like I'm losing it. <clears throat> so let's pray together here. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we need you, and we realize that without you, we are dust, without you, we're just going to return to dust, but with you, we can do all things, and we can live forever. I just pray in a special way right now that you would speak through me. Lord, I'd have no wisdom. I have no grand insights. I don't know what these people need, (coughs) but you do. And So I just pray that I would be in tune with your still small voice and that I would speak the words that you have me to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for that music. That was amazing. Um, I hope that this week we have um, done a good job of obliterating the The uh, stereotype of the bumbling farmer that farms because he or she can't do anything else. Um, The talent that we just heard that's been displayed throughout this conference, I think, I hope, shows you that God can use even humble farmers in powerful ways. You know, I I learned painfully this week the the disadvantage of being one of the last speakers because every meeting I went to, I felt like they were preaching my sermon. And it was like, okay, well, now that's been covered. What else can I say? Um, But... And, and, of course, they all did it more, more intelligently and eloquently than I could. So, you know, we're going to keep it very basic this morning. We're going back to the basics. Um, we've, we've heard a lot of filling in the blanks this week. Growing better flowers, growing better mushrooms, growing better tomatoes and microgreens. But we've also heard a lot about growing better characters and health and spirituality. And this morning, I just want to fill in three blanks for you. And this is nothing earth-shattering. In fact, it's really repetition, okay? They've all certainly been talked about this week, but I'm just going to share very simply... And very personally what um, God has placed on my heart this morning so I've got to coordinate here with the clicker first one growing better food now I think for many here actually it may start even more basic than that how about just growing food period right We'll, we'll work on the better later, but let's just, I got to learn how to grow food, right? Because there's a time coming when we're not going to be able to buy or sell, and I don't want to starve to death, so I got to learn how to grow food. And that's where a lot of people start. And, you know, God takes us where we're at, right? I I would hope that you can find some better motivations than that. For growing in the garden but that's a starting point and so we we start where we're at but we certainly don't I I just want to encourage you don't do this out of fear do this because you want to get to know God better so we're all familiar with Genesis 129 and God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the, all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seeds. To you, it shall be for food. So would it be reasonable to assume that in a perfect world, God would give the inhabitants the perfect diet? Is that too much to assume? So, we're talking here about God's ideal diet. What was it? Did it include genetically modified organisms? What about artificial flavors and preservatives? It was totally natural. Was it vegetarian? Was it vegan? But, you know, that's not far enough because you can be vegan and be eating junk food, right? I mean, I think we all know this. Vegan is not enough. Are you familiar with WFPB? Who knows what WFPB? Okay, quite a few people. What does WFPB stand for? Whole food, plant-based. That was God's original diet. Now, please don't raise your hand for this because we don't want to judge each other here. But raise your hand in your mind, okay? How many of you are WFPB? Okay, I saw one little hand up here. Um, No, you you weren't supposed to raise your hands, right? So I want to challenge you on that. Are you really WFPB? How do you know you're eating whole foods? (laughs) You shop at Whole Foods. It's got to be Whole Foods, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm eating the whole food. I mean, I'm chopping it myself, right? It's whole food. But is it really whole food? What makes whole food? You know, um, it's good to, to, I mean, I think it's good. I, I can't speak for everybody, but... I think it's good to to buy products products that are non-GMO project verified. But, you know, the reality is they could still have Roundup sprayed on them. Um, I think it's great if you can afford it to eat organic. But um, you want me to tell you a few dirty little secrets about organic? (laughs) I mean, organic means there's a lot of things that weren't done to it. But organic does not guarantee nutritious whole food. It tells you what's not there, but it doesn't guarantee anything being there. Another little secret dirty secret in my mind is that do you know that much of the the whole foods that you're buying in the produce section of the grocery store the organic Whole Foods are hydroponically grown did you know that now you know we're not here to to bash hydroponics but I have a problem with that personally, because I don't think anybody can know what that plant needs as much as God can, and when it's in the ground, um, God can help feed it through all those microorganisms. So the only way that you know you are eating whole foods is how? if you grow it yourself in properly amended soil or someone who you fully trust has grown it for you in properly amended soil if you buy your food from the grocery store i challenge you as to whether you're eating whole foods now why is that important well You know we have a very holistic view of health right Um, the whole holistic view of, of the being the human being there's the mental the physical and the spiritual right and they all are connected you can't separate them so if you're not feeding the best food you can to yourselves and your children what is that going to do to them mentally and spiritually? You know, I have a real burden for our schools, our healthcare institutions and our families. How can you bring people to learn about health and be feeding them food from Cisco? I I just, I mean, I I, I think it's better than, than you know, food out of a crinkly bag. But is it really the best? We need to grow better food. Our testimony, you know, some years before we started farming, we started gardening. And honestly, I can't remember all the reasons for that. It just kind of was kind of the thing to do. But um, I do know that we were watching some of the documentaries, you know, um, The Future of Food and all these different ones showing about the, the mess of our food systems and how food is raised Um, And that had an influence in reading articles. I've always been a bit of an activist, I guess, you know, reading about all these issues. And um, it's like, man, we need to, you know, and then I read how strawberries, did you know strawberries are like number one? They've been there as long as we've been farming. Number one as the most toxic fruit and vegetable. If you buy strawberries from the store, Well, don't buy strawberries from the store, okay? Um, So we started growing. And it was as we got into the garden that we started beginning to get a picture of how great um, this plan was, this original Eden plan, something better than we had ever known. Now look at this. Um, we're also familiar with this this text, Genesis three seventeen to nineteen. This is after the fall, after they ate the fruit. Cursed is the ground for your sake; in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Now. Did the diet change after the fall? Was it still WFPB? Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm sure the nutritional content started sliding downhill. But nothing changed. God didn't change their diet. Of course, we know that, that actually he gave permission after the flood to eat flesh foods, clean flesh foods. Um, But that seems to have been to just try to shorten everybody's life, right? Um, So the diet didn't change. What changed? The conditions. The soil changed. The conditions changed that we had to work with. But that change was for our sake. You see that there? Cursed is the ground for your sake. We are supposed to toil. We're supposed to weed. We're supposed to sweat. This was all part of God's plan for our redemption. But we think we have a better plan. We want to eat without sweat, without weeds or work. Why should I do it when I can just work a little more at my good-paying job and buy food from Whole Foods, right? So, we are faced with a fat, sick, and nearly dead nation. Many are unwilling to earn their bread by the sweat of their brow. And they refuse to till the soil. But the earth has blessings hidden in her depths for those who have courage and will and perseverance to gather her treasures. Fathers and mothers who possess a piece of land and a comfortable home are kings and queens Now something hit me as I read this recently that word refuse Can you refuse a choice? I mean, think about it, Can you, if somebody says, you want this or this, well, actually I don't want either, but I mean, you're not, I mean, they're giving you a choice, right? You don't have to take it, but this says, and they refuse to till the soil. What, what does it take to, to actually have a refusal? You need a command, right? Without a command, you can't have a refusal. So have we been commanded to till the soil? And if so, are you refusing God's command? You know, a the, the, the couple other words I want to point out in this quote. A piece of land, a piece doesn't have to be big, right? You know, I think some people think, well, I, don't ha- I can't afford a farm. You know, we farm two acres. Most people, if they really work hard, can afford two acres, right? It, it can be a piece of land, a small piece of land. And then it's a comfortable home. It's not a luxurious home. It's not a fancy home. You know, we live in an old tobacco barn. Before we started remodeling it, we were told by a close relative that it was unfit for human habitation. That's where we live. And we've lived there for the last 20-plus years, we're still inhabiting it. It's, you know, it's quaint and comfortable, but it's certainly not kingly by any worldly standards. But I'll tell you what, I live like a king. I mean, when I wake up every morning, my, the window right above my bed overlooks my kingdom, my little dominion. And I look out that window, and it's like, thank you, God, for giving me this little piece of heaven, this little two-acre kingdom. That Now, I, I will say, the farm is much bigger than two acres, but we're only cultivating two acres. <clears throat> and I, I'll, I'll admit that at times I'm tempted to say, is not this the great farm that I have built? Um, but that's the wrong kind of of kingship, right? The Lord quickly reminds me that he's the true builder and the bountiful blesser of our farm. Our farm would be nothing without him. But I'll tell you this, we eat like kings and queens. I mean, it's amazing. In fact, we eat so good that we've come to think it's normal. You know, that this is just the way food tastes. And it's only when we go away from the farm that it's like, wow, I didn't realize how good our food was. (coughs) Now, I'm not talking about Kalakwa; It's been amazing here, but, um, (coughs) you know, the reality is nothing tastes as good as as homegrown food, right? And we often remark, we could never afford our own food. I mean, you know, we often, we, we normally have 10 to 12 people around our table. And it's very common in strawberry season to down over $100 worth of strawberries at one meal. You know, we, uh, we, we eat $40, $50 salads. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, And then what I really love now is the grandkids come over. And where do they want to go when they come to Mimi and Poppy's house? I mean, they head straight for the berry patch. They know where it is. And I I feel so kingly to be able to say, go ahead, eat all the berries you want, (laughs) up to half my kingdom. And um, little Judah, Judah loves the dappy-doos. You know what dappy-doos are? That's um, two-year-old code language for raspberries. Okay. So he loves to go to the dappy-doos, and he loves to eat the dappy-doos. So a few weeks ago, he came over, and he said, Poppy, dappy Doo. And that, that means, Poppy, let's go eat some dappy Dews. And I knew I couldn't convince him otherwise, so we got in the little golf cart and drove down to the dappy Dews And I picked off some of those brown, shriveled, frozen raspberries that were left from the seas, and I said, Judah, this is the dappy Dews. They're all gone. Till next spring, we have to wait for more dappy-do's, but more will come. And, you know, it just felt so good to be able to teach him the beginnings of delayed gratification. Dappy-do's aren't always there for you. I mean, have you had dappy-do's before? But anyway, the point is, when you grow food, you can live like kings and queens. And we need to be growing better food. So let's go to number two. Growing better families. Now I was a little hesitant to put a picture of my kids up there. So I took I, I used an old picture. I mean it's a few years old. It seems like a few years. <laughs> It's probably ten ten years old Um, because I certainly don't want to put our family on a pedestal please please don't do that because we are very human and we've made plenty of mistakes when I say we I'm talking about my wife and I Uh, our kids probably have made a few too but I I think they're the best but God wants us to grow better families. And this is really where our journey started. You know, when when children came along in our family, we were very conscientious. We wanted to do everything right. And we read child guidance through and through. Um, And... Well, let, let me back up and just say our journey started in Africa, and I apologize. I know I've shared some of this before, but, you know, your story is your story. You, you, what else can you share? Um, so if, if you've heard this before, I'm going to try to be brief. And um, We worked at a school for missionaries' children, my wife and I, and what we experienced and, and saw and counseled with was a lot of brokenness. A lot of children who wanted nothing to do with God, who didn't want to be um, associated with their family. They were fed up with it all um, and it was it was kind of jarring for us. You know we somehow, we were young. I mean this was our first job out of college. We thought this should be the cream of the crop of Adventism, right? And and so as we started thinking about having children of our own, we're saying, how, how is it going to be any different for us? You know, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results, right? I, I, I have a burden for families. You know, how many adults, how many of you had things that happened to you as a child that you wished hadn't happened? I mean, I think most every hand should raise, right? I mean, that's the reality of a sinful world. But what are we doing with our children to make sure that doesn't happen to them? While we were still in Africa, at Kibidula to be exact, we we were just really grappling. We already had we'd had our first two children. They were very young. Um, we're saying, God, we want something different. We want something better. Um, and we made a solemn vow before the Lord. We said, we will do whatever you tell us to do, whatever you lead us to do, to save our children, um, parents. Have you made that solemn vow? Whatever it takes, that means leaving jobs, moving. I mean, it may mean that, not saying it does mean that for you. Um, What are you willing to do to save your family? Is there anything more important in this world than having your children with you in the kingdom? And They're never too old. Don't give up, parents. If your children are grown, love them. Pray for them. Are you earnestly interceding for them? God wants to save them, but he wants you to cooperate with him in that. So I challenge you this morning, parents, make that solemn vow that you will do anything and everything for the saving of your children and then fasten your seatbelt. He might even lead you into farming. Are you willing for that? We had no idea what we were getting into. Of course, I think you all know this, but you realize our families are the best evangelistic tool our church has. Do you understand that? Um, A well-ordered, well-disciplined family speaks more on behalf of the gospel than all the sermons that can be preached. Just think about Abraham. Abraham. How many, how big was his family? Trick question, right? Um, I mean, he had two children, well, yeah, two children. um, One official and one unofficial, I guess, kind of, you know, one was God's plan and the other one was his plan. Um, But how big was his household? Over 1,000. God wants our families, the influence of our families to expand as God begins to work in your family. And don't wait for perfection. Don't wait till everybody comes the second you call them. You know, God will work with us where we're at, but he wants our families to be centers of influence that can reach out to the world. Because no matter how bad we think our kids are, chances are the world would look on and say, wow, how are you doing that? Right? I mean, that's just, it's, it's all about contrast. And it's all, it's not about us. You know, we're not wanting to say, look at me. But we are wanting to be lights in the world, right? We are wanting to show the world a better way. And it's about God, what God is doing in us and through us. Okay. I need a... Okay, I guess that's the clock there. Well, okay. But I was... I was very pleased to hear that lunch isn't till 1 today so Deuteronomy 6 6 and 7 and these words which i command you today shall be in your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children you shall talk of them when you sit on in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise up you know we're studying saying lord what do you want us to do we see this, it's like, wow, that's, you know, that's a lot of interaction. That's not just dad says goodbye in the morning and comes back at night and kisses him night. You know, this is, uh, this is a real living together, it kind of looks like, right? How does that work? We decided that I needed a job where I could be home-based. And this was before that was popular, right? Before covid Um, long before COVID, one where I could just be more involved. I could be the priest of the home. We could live our lives together. And so the Lord led us into farming. Um, And I don't have time to get into much of that, but we'll just say that was not on the radar screen. That was not Uh, My wife didn't sign up for that (laughs) if any of you were at her devotional the other day She never signed up to marry a farmer But God knew better Um, Parents This right here if you remember nothing else To me is powerful we read this some years ago well after we were farming but it just it it hit me so hard it's like this this article that this quote comes from was about why kids are leaving the church why are the young people leaving the church and the author says it's because they don't have anything to do they they have no purpose And so they're aimless, and they go find purpose somewhere else. You need to create a lifestyle where your children are needed. I mean, if we're honest, for most modern American families, children are an inconvenience, right? What do you do with them? I mean, especially when there's snow days and vacation. What am I supposed to do with them while I'm at work? You know, and so we're trying to create all these ways of keeping our children out of trouble when children are very smart. Right, kids? Aren't you very smart? They know the difference between busy work and real work, right? They know whether you're just trying to keep them occupied or whether this is something really important. The beauty of a farm is there, we needed our kids. I mean, sometimes we wished we'd had a few more. (laughs) You know, there was always work to be done, and sometimes it was urgent. It's like, okay, kids, the frost is coming. We gotta go out there quick, and we gotta pull out the row covers, and it's cold and windy, and the row covers are flapping all over the place. But you know what? They didn't complain and they learned how to work and they learned that work was important and they learned that they were needed. Are you creating a lifestyle where your children are needed? And I'm not saying farming's the only way, I've tried to think of other ways, <laughs> um, but I'm sure there are. Let's go on. So that's growing better families. You know, hard work, um, going through trials together grows better families. Number three, final, but this is the biggie, growing better faith. You know, there's theoretical faith, and then there's practical, experimental faith. I think we all have a theoretical faith in Jesus But do we have the faith of Jesus? The faith that keeps moving forward when you can't see light at the end of the tunnel. The faith that took Jesus to the cross even though he couldn't see through the portals of the tomb. That's faith. That is raw faith. I'm going to do it even if I die an eternal death. Now, let's talk for a minute about the difference between faith and presumption. What's the difference? You know, Jesus, when the devil took him up to the pinnacle of the temple, he, he wasn't tempted to jump off. Why? That's not a trick question. God hadn't told him to, right? What if God had told him to jump off? Do you think he would have jumped? I certainly know he would have. What about Abraham going out to a country he didn't know, going somewhere he didn't know where he was going? Was that faith or was that presumption? Why was it faith? Because God told him to. If God hadn't told him to, it would have been presumption. Some of you are still living in the cities. Is that faith or presumption? It depends. Okay, we'll be, we'll be gentle. Um, you know, country living takes a big step of faith. I mean, lots of steps of faith. But I see a lot of people lingering in the cities, afraid to be presumptuous. I want to tell you this morning, God has told you to move out. He told you over 120 years ago to move out. It's not presumptuous to move. Sometimes you have to put your foot in the water before the river opens. We've heard stories like that this week. And I mean, I'm not saying don't use your brains, but I'm saying we're so focused on trying to get all our ducks in a row that God has no way to build our faith. For us, the big step came with quitting my job when I didn't know what I was gonna do next. Was that faith or presumption? Some people probably think that was very presumptuous, but we knew it was faith because we knew God had called us to do that. We felt very confident. For a year and a half, God sustained us without an official job. God just brought odds and ends enough to keep us afloat. And then after the year and a half God impressed us that we should go into agriculture so that was our next big step of faith because every time I mentioned that to anybody especially adventists like oh well that's sounds good but I don't think you can make a living doing that um But God said, no devising of man has ever improved on that plan. So can I believe that? Would it have been faith if I'd had another job lined up? Yes? Okay. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of different circumstances, so I'm not going to try to say one size fits all. But... um, For me, I don't think that would have grown my faith. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to quit this, but I'm going to take that one. God is trying to grow our faith. Here's the word of the day, hormesis. How many of you know what hormesis is? Okay, not very many hands. Wow. So, hormesis is a two-phase dose-response relationship to an environmental agent whereby low-dose amounts have a beneficial effect and high-dose amounts are either inhibitory to function or toxic. Did you catch that? Um, In other words, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, right? That's kind of it in lay terms. It's, It's about... Putting yourself under low doses of stress that will strengthen you, and this can be mentally, physically, or spiritually strengthen you. Whereas, you know, the high doses might kill you, but low doses make you stronger. This is actually very popular in the world right now. I didn't see your hand, Dr. Kobos, but I'm sure you knew about this. You know, a lot of things like um, temperature stress, saunas, you know, there's a lot of research now that says sweating is good for you. It actually lengthens your lifespan. Or what about cold plunges? Sitting in ice baths is a hormetic stressor. And it strengthens your body. There's exercise stress, high-intensity interval training. You've heard of that? That's a hormetic stressor. It's strengthening your body by putting it under stress. Intermittent fasting. Do we know what that is? We should, if we read the spirit of prophecy, you know, where you have... 16 hours or more without food. Now, I I recognize that doesn't work for everybody. Everybody's metabolisms are different, but I also know that we sometimes make metabolism an excuse. Um, Many people can do that without a problem. Um, You know, talking about cold stress, Campers, all you campers this week, you were, you were doing hormesis, right? Good for you. You know, I don't think anybody died, right? And they're actually better for it. You know, I hear all the time people talk about, I could never live in the south. It's too hot and muggy. Come on, guys. That's a hormetic stressor. Get over it. Sweat. It's okay. It's actually good for you to sweat. And I just heard this summer, you know, in one of the heat waves, the news was talking about how you could actually build up resistance to heat by exposure to it where it's not so bad after a while. You know, there's all kinds. They say even eating stressed food. This is good for you. New gardeners, you're worried about your, your plants being under stress. Did you know that that stress can actually create enzymes and phytochemicals and stuff in the food that makes it healthier? Um, UV exposure, um, we heard about that the other day. If, if these things are sounding vaguely familiar, it's because we've known all this. At least we're, we should have known it all for a very long time. Mental stress, just pushing yourself, memorization, doing taxing word problem kind of things. Um, and then, of course, trials and faith. Um, you know, faith crises. This is uh, the... Dicinger definition of hormesis Accustoming yourself to hardship and privation You all remember the impressive dream mrs. White had about the narrow upward way Yeah Okay, I mean a lot of you do but I know not everybody does so I'm just gonna summarize it briefly she had this dream where there was a large body of people, and interestingly, only a portion started out prepared to journey. They start out with heavily loaded wagons, and they started up this trail. On one side was a deep precipice, on the other side was a tall, white, smooth wall. And as they went along, the road continued to get narrower and narrower. And um, it got to the point where the wagons wouldn't fit anymore. And so they had to offload the wagons and leave most of their belongings behind. And then they put packs on the horses and kept going on horseback, but soon it was too narrow for the horses. They had to throw the packs off and then eventually leave the horses behind and continue on foot, single file. And then it got so narrow. Well, at that point, what happened? These cords were let down from the top of that tall white wall. They weren't sure what was holding them at first, but they grabbed onto those cords and it kept them stable. And it kept getting narrower and narrower to the point where they started, they took off their shoes and then their socks and it was so narrow that they were having to put all their weight on the cord, because otherwise they would fall off. And then we read this quote right here. We then thought of those who had not accustomed themselves to privations and hardship. Where were such now? They were not in the company. At every change, some were left behind, and those only remained who had accustomed themselves to endure hardships. The privations of the way only made these more eager to press on to the end. Accustoming ourselves to hardship and privation, that was a... An often rehearsed term when our children were young and we when times were really hard we're accustoming ourselves to hardship and privation when you're camping in the cold you know I think a simple example of this is just heating with wood you know let's be honest that's there are times when I'd like I say you know it'd really be nice to just turn a thermostat But, I mean, our only heat source is a wood stove. And we've chosen that because we don't want to get too comfortable. You know, I have to haul the wood up the stairs and, you know, keep the fire going. Otherwise, it gets cold. But is that bad? It's actually a kind of hormesis. It's preparing us for tougher times ahead. If you think that it's not going to get hard, you're wrong. And you need to be accustoming yourselves to hardship and privation. I don't know what God is saying to you today, but I know at this conference, he's convicted you of something that's not going to be easy. Don't shy away from it. It's hormesis. And then, of course, the, the vision continues. Eventually, they come to the end of the road. And across the chasm is this beautiful land that we know was representing heaven. The only way to get from here to there is to put all your weight on the cord and swing across. One more quote. I noticed that the beautiful white wall was stained with blood. It caused a feeling of regret to see the wall thus stained. This feeling, however, lasted but for a moment, as I soon thought that it was all as it should be. Those who are following after will know that others have passed the narrow, difficult way before them and will conclude that if others were able to pursue their onward course, they can do the same. And as the blood shall be pressed from their aching feet, they will not faint with discouragement. But seeing the blood upon the wall, they will know that others have endured the same pain. Friends, we need more blood on the wall for those who are following after. That's what the testimonies we've heard this week are all about. People are sharing the bloody spots in their journey. Now, you know, it's easy to do that when you know, okay, well, they're here and they look healthy and happy, so... It must have all gone well, right? But what about when you're in the midst of it? When you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel? I know I'm over time, so I'm going to try to make this very brief. I want to close with sharing a little of our blood on the wall. Can I do that? Um... So, God led us to farming, strawberry farming, to be specific, and we knew nothing. I mean, this was in 1998, before we had internet. You know, there was nobody to learn from, because we were going to do it organically. And without plastic, we were idealists, and everybody thought we were crazy, everybody well, yeah, everybody thought we were crazy. The, the strawberry farmers thought we were crazy. And everybody else, of course, thought we were crazy just because we were trying to do it. Well, we were crazy. I mean, the first year was a total washout. I mean, we lost the battle to the weeds. We were told that, you know, because we plant the strawberries in September, we were told, oh, the weeds will die when the frost comes. We were so ignorant, we didn't know about winter weeds yet. I mean, that's how green we were. As green as the weeds. And and so the first frost came and went, and it's like, oh, no, what are we? I mean, 17,000 strawberry plants. That's a lot of hand weeding. Um, so needless to say, our first crop was... And then the the deer got into it. And so between the deer and the weeds, it was like a total washout. I mean, we made nothing. We got a few strawberries to put in the freezer, but, I mean, it was, we made nothing. And I didn't have a job. You know, I was working odd jobs. So I was like, Lord, that wow, that was rough. This Are we still supposed to be doing that? and he made it clear yes press on you put your hand to the plow can't turn back now so the Lord miraculously provided for us to plant a second crop and we said this time we're doing it all right we know what we did wrong we're doing it all right we weeded and we weeded and cultivated and I mean we we worked hard as hard as we could with the time we had. We had three little children at that point. Um, Next spring came, wow, it was looking good. We we actually weren't able to stay on top of about a third of it, so we had two thirds of an acre, you know, 12,000 plants or something. And we're saying, thank you, Lord, this is amazing. They're flowering, they're fruiting, everything's looking like an amazing crop. You know, we had the local newspapers come out, they did stories on us, and the trials were behind us. Finally, we were going to make it. But then, any of you know that with strawberries, frost is huge. You know, strawberry flowers cannot handle any frost. the forecast was calling for frost, you know, I, we had the little NOAA weather radio, you know, with that, that um, computer voice. Um, it told us it was going to get down to 26, I think. We had, we had row covers, but, you know, the floating row covers said, you know, around four degrees of protection. But, hey. God was on our side, right? He was going to, to s- save us. So we put the row covers on. We marched around the field, <laughs> singing songs of faith. We prayed, and we went to bed. What else can you do? Um, the next morning I got up looked at the thermometer it was I think it was 26 maybe even 25 my heart sank it's like okay lord we're hanging on by faith so you can't do anything till the frost burns off so we waited, we had our worship, we claimed more promises and went out to the field. Pam and I went alone, we didn't want, we didn't want to take our kids. So we went alone and pulled back the covers and the whole field was full of dead flowers. that's where faith starts that was hard it's like Lord what are you doing to us I mean how much can we handle And so I, you know, we, we couldn't talk. We knew that sometimes it's better not to talk because you can bring each other down. I just started walking, wrestling with the Lord. And it didn't take long. The Lord spoke to me in my heart. He said, you know, you were counting on those strawberries, but strawberries aren't what you need. I'm what you need. Am I enough? Can you trust me? Can you trust me even without a strawberry crop? it was like, yeah, Lord, you've brought us so far. We're going to trust you. well I wish I could tell you more but that's a little blood on the wall sorry it's still raw still raw um, but the amazing thing is this we had an amazing strawberry crop that year you know I mean they kept blooming and I mean we don't know we still don't know if God performed a miracle or if we just didn't understand enough about strawberries but the Lord gave us a really good crop and more than that he gave us an incredible deepening of our faith I just want to end with this one text are you familiar with this this is good Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's the kind of faith I want. And it's not gonna come without hormesis. It's not gonna come without accustoming ourselves to hardship and privation. We need to be growing better food. I think you all know that and that's why you're here. But more important than better food is better families that are gonna be a light to the world and bring them to the understanding of the gospel And number one, we need better faith. So again, I don't know what God is calling you to this morning, but I know if you've been here for this conference, he's put things on your heart. My challenge to you this morning is don't put it off. I don't think there's time to put it off. Do what he's calling you to do, trusting that his biddings are enablings, trusting that God's ways are best. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you. Thank you for... Giving me my voice long enough to share. Thank you for your spirit. I don't know what your spirit was doing during the meeting, but I know that your spirit was working. You know each heart, you know each person, you know where they live, where they should live, you know what they're doing, what they should be doing you know the plans that you have for each one and i just pray lord that this at agra conference as we've shared a little blood on the walls that you will encourage and that you will convict and empower and strengthen each one to do what you are calling them to do Lord, we know we're on a narrow path, and it's getting narrower every day. We want to hold on to you with all our strength and swing across to that beautiful land. This is our prayer. This is our hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse